It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Except for the days where Maria takes off and then they bring this, you know, third stringer in. Nah. It's all good. <laughs> Sitting in We're for Maria fun. today, it's a pleasure for me to be here with Ton. I'm Dave Meekham, and of course, Ton alongside to answer your questions. And it's great to do this occasionally with you, Ton. I enjoy it a lot, of, enjoy it quite a bit. So we uh, we are at the best time of the show, and there's a reason for that. Oh, we should have had him do the tomatoes song. I forgot. Oh, yes, that would have been homegrown great. tomatoes. Oh well, maybe we can go out with it. Um, <laughs> We're gonna call this tomato time with Dave and Ton. Yes, it is, and you know, I we just even though we've been talking tomatoes the whole show, we kind of have. <laughs> why not more? So uh, Murray is not here to say you two grow up. <laughs> That's true. Yes. She does occasionally make such remarks. What we have here for this segment, I've had uh, Michelle, our crack producer, who does a very good job. um, Thank her for that, by the way. Excellent work, Michelle. Yes. But she's posted the USU fact sheet on growing tomatoes. And we get a lot of questions about what's wrong with my tomatoes. Why is there no, why aren't there any fruit on them? You know, why are the leaves turning yellow? And this fact sheet highlights a lot of the various problems you see on tomatoes and maybe how to prevent them. And the truth is that, you know, of course there's problems with growing tomatoes, but as plants go, they're actually pretty easy. And for the most part, relatively problem free. They are. And it's, when we see a lot of problems with tomatoes, like last year, it was totally the weather from mid-April through yeah. mid-June. It was a weird Nothing year. we could do. Right. And about one in four years, we get the, uh, oh, the viral disease, the yeah. curly top. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. nothing you can do because they blew in from Nevada and Arizona and California. And the weather patterns, again, dictate. But the top thing that I see in tomatoes is curly top and there's nothing you can do about it. And most of the tomatoes we're growing are fairly disease resistant. As long as you're rotating, we don't see a lot of problems. Right. And, and, and we've said many times before, one of the reasons I really like the celebrity is because it's even more disease resistant than most varieties. It is. And the celebrity plus that's becoming more common is even supposed to be more so. Yeah. So when I'm getting, I got a call a week ago about tomatoes declining 
and the person had been growing tomatoes in a raised bed in the same spot for four or five years. And they were developing a disease called early blight and nothing you can do about it once the tomatoes have it. And in that situation, I told her, you know, I would dig out every last ounce of soil from that raised bed, let it sit in the sun for a month or so for the UV light to sterilize it and maybe even use a 10% Clorox solution to sterilize the wood and then next spring put in new raised bed mix so that you can continue on with the tomatoes. But it was a cultural practice that you're supposed to only grow tomatoes in the same soil one out of three years that cause the problems. And a lot of times when we see people with disease problems other than curly top, it is something that has been going on with management that's allowed the disease to creep in. Yeah, and in that situation, especially with home gardeners, it is can be fairly unavo- unavoidable because I've only got this space yeah. to grow. So how do we manage that? Well, in that situation, if you're going to grow the tomatoes in there, what I will do is grow for two, two years and give it one year off. Okay. And I will grow at a 90 degree angle to what I did the previous year. And so the first year I'll grow the tomatoes in rows going north and south. And then the next year I plant the tomatoes going east and west, trying to minimize exposure so I don't plant in the exact same spot every year. And then after that second year, I give it one year off and then go back in. And on that year off, you can grow green beans, you can grow squash, you might even be able to do some root crops, cover crop of some sort, just to give it a break and then go back in. And that seems to work. I think eventually you'll get a buildup, but that year break, two years on when you're off, seems to extend the amount of time that you can grow tomatoes in that's in natural garden soil. I'm not talking raised bed mix. How about uh, managing the soil in terms of soil amendments? So soil amendments, one to two inches of compost every fall once you're happy with the soil. And that will help boost good microorganisms that help fight off diseases. And so when you look at the soil microbiome, It has millions of microorganisms of probably thousands of different species. And most of them are just there and they're not beneficial, but they're not detrimental. But there's some that are beneficial and some that are detrimental. And what will happen is those roots push out from whatever plant. In this case, we're talking tomatoes. Those roots form, for lack of a better term, relationships with the good microorganisms that help in nutrient uptake And the tomato trades some carbohydrates for the assistance in getting nutrients from the soil. And what will happen is these beneficial microorganisms can outcompete soil diseases like Phytophthora verticillium that are still just in the soil. And the tomatoes are happy. But if you grow tomatoes or any vegetable in the same soil year after year, the harmful diseases, the microorganisms, the numbers will build to a point that they overwhelm the good 
fungi and bacteria. Right. And they overwhelm it and attack the tomatoes, and it's just diminishing returns every year. And at that point, you may have to wait five to ten years before you can put tomatoes back into that soil. If you decide to kind of do this crop rotation and take the tomatoes out, and let's say that uh, rather than growing a different vegetable or different type of crop there in that space, uh, covered it in black plastic. Well, I cover it in clear. Or I'm sorry, I meant clear. Yeah. Uh, because you're really going to cook it even more under the clear. But is, is that greenhouse effect that it's really going to cook the soil? Is that going to be beneficial? You, that will be beneficial. It will kill the microorganisms, the harmful ones, and you can just keep growing the tomatoes. If you solarize every two, every three years, so you've got two years on, the third year you're solarized, I would put compost into the soil before you solarize just to kind before, of keep okay. the soil healthy. But solarize it and then let it sit for the winter so the microorganisms can repopulate, help break that down. But that would be another method to keep that soil so that you can keep growing tomatoes. Another solution would be to get some containers with a volume of 5 to 10 gallons and grow tomatoes in containers, maybe on top of the area with other vegetables surrounding them and reduce the number and then... swap the tomatoes from the containers to the soil so that you can keep growing that way too. Yeah. So maybe have a a space where you take, you know, your garden space where you have uh, a third of it that you solarize every three years and you just rotate them through. So tomatoes in these other spots and just keep moving it around. That would allow you to do that. It would. And so there's methods you can use, but you have to get a little creative. Yeah. Well, but see, there are ways. So if you're in that kind of, you know, boxed in spot where this is all I got, you know, there's a potential answer right there. Or maybe you just cover the whole thing every three years and, and do containers that year and yeah. you still get your tomatoes Do that your way. containers, take, give it a year off. And, you know, if you can enough tomatoes, it's not, you want the fresh ones, but, you know, if you have a lot of food storage, it may give you an opportunity to use a little bit more of it so that you don't have five and six-year-old tomatoes in the food storage. Okay. Well, there you go. Some, and we'll we'll try and I can't promise we won't do more tomato talk the rest of the uh, hour. But there ain't nothing there you in go. the world that I like better. Sing along, Ton. Don't want me to sing. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> nice job, Eric. We'll be back with more on the KSL Green Show after this. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do when a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything it was violent it was senseless and i will never understand it i will never accept it i'm amy donaldson and unfortunately we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives but what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt in a new podcast the letter we relive tragedy but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Let's take some calls here. Ton, we've had Wendy patiently awaiting in Caseville. Good morning, Wendy. 
Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I have a question on rock gardens. We moved into our home, and there's a lot of beautiful flower beds with um, a good, I think it's a good uh, weed barrier and rocks. But I don't know how long it's been here, and now the weeds are starting to come through. And it's just hard to pull out the weeds, particularly when they're small, just trying to get your fingers down in between the rocks. So I'm just thinking of, I know Xeroscape is real popular right now, but I'm just thinking of getting rid of the rock gardens and placing mulch because um, I don't really want to spray with, like, chemicals. Uh, but I don't know if I should just, if I should just sprinkle uh, that preen on there or if I, what your thoughts are with rock gardens and as opposed to... Well, uh, you're learning the reason why USU and other related institutions, Conservation Garden Park, Weber Basin, Central Utah, have quit recommending the general use of weed barrier because it works well for two or three years and then the weed seed blows in, mulch breaks down and forms soil on top of the weed fabric and it the weed's roots grow into it and it's terrible to try to pull the weeds and even get rid of the weed fabric. And so if you're going to go to that extent, we recommend just using three inches, maybe four inches of mulch that you put an inch down a year to account for what's decomposed. And if you want to do the work, that actually would be a great solution. But in addition to that, you could use something like preen or another pre-emergent that would, you know, it doesn't stop perennial weeds, but any annuals it would suppress. And, you know, there are species that it won't, but 70% of the weed species preen would go after. Okay. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of because everything that I've seen, it seems like after a few years the, the barrier does break down. So I just wanted to. Yeah, and I mean there are some barriers that don't, but you still run into the problem of the weed seeds blowing in. And so the only time I usually recommend a weed fabric is if you are, say, putting down an RV pad. And then you can go in on those rocks and just use a weed torch or, you know, something, and it's not as much of a concern because you usually have three or four inches of gravel on there. But that's about the only situation I recommend the use of weed fabric. And what do you recommend, like if you're doing the garden boxes for vegetables, what do you recommend like in the pathways? Uh, you know, if depending on what you put down, a weed torch, if it's gravel, is great to prevent the weeds. Preen in those areas would also be fine uh, just because you're not growing any food uh-huh. where the gravel is or wherever the, end okay. of the space is between the boxes. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. Thanks for your call, Wendy. Good luck with that. And, Tom, the two thoughts I had immediately were one concrete. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a permanent solution. What about a soil, a soil sterilant, though? Absolutely not. Well, in a, on an RV pad, if there are no trees or shrubs with roots underneath the RV pad, a ground sterilant would be fine. But otherwise, if you have shade trees adjacent and the neighbors even – you know, even though their roots are trespassing, you want to be careful, but you need to make sure there are no desirable plants with roots underneath that area where you're going to park the RV. Otherwise, I just recommend the use of something like, there's a product called Surflan that's a spray that you can, it's season long. Preen's generally a six-week product at the most. But Surflan, you can just spray right on top of the gravel 
and it prevents the germination of most things. I've used it in the past and it's done a good job, but it won't harm the neighbor's trees and shrubs or yours if, you know, they are penetrating under the right. gravel itself. So if it's an area where there's nothing remotely close that you care about and you know this is something that you're not going to use, you know, yeah. for any other purpose for a long time, that would be the the where the application of a sterile it would okay. absolutely no trees in close proximity i mean sometimes even if a tree is 50 feet away it very well could have roots under there yeah tree roots yeah. don't just stay under the canopy they can no. go for two or three hundred yards or a feet i mean if there's a water source the tree will send a root that Tap direction yeah 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 okay interesting chat uh let's get one more call in here before the bottom of the hour and let's go and talk to melanie and sandy good morning melanie Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. How can we help you today? All right. Uh, last summer, maybe August or September, I planted a double apple twist tree and a nectarine tree, and I believe they're dwarf trees. Um, and they're just not doing well. The nectarine tree has small fruit the size of golf balls in some spots, but others are the size of a raisin, and they're shriveled, and there's yellow leaves surrounding them. And then the apple tree just has branches sticking up at the top without leaves, and they I'm just afraid they're going to die. So is there anything I can do at this point? Well, the nectarine tree, have you checked the base of the tree to see if there's any gumming? Have you been I applying haven't. something to prevent the borer that gets into it? Check for that. Okay. And even if you have grass, you dig it away carefully. But right at ground level, maybe just a bit below, you need to look for this gelatinous substance around the tree. And if it's there, you have greater peach tree borer in the tree. And because the nectarine is just basically a peach that uses nair because they're fuzzless and bad joke, <laughs> but um, wow. peaches and nectarines. So Dave's telling me to keep my day job over yeah, here. Seriously. Um, <laughs> But because they're genetically both peaches, it's just the nectarine don't have, they do not have fuzz. Uh, you have to treat the nectarine like a peach. Now, on the apple, are the leaves that are remaining on the tree looking healthy? Yeah, the leaves, um, they're not like vibrant green, but they're pretty green. Okay. And how often are these trees being irrigated? Um, I think every other day. Okay. One thing I might do is once every week to 10 days is take a hose and sprinkler, run it for 45 minutes under the trees with your sandy soil to make sure water penetrates about two feet. And then as far as the nectarine, I wanted to also just say that trees in Salt Lake, Wasatch, or not Wasatch, Salt Lake, Weber, Davis counties have been really damaged over the last winter. And we've been seeing a lot of problems and this could be related to the winter weather, but just make sure they're both deep watered down. Subscribe to USU's pest lab updates, the fruit updates. If you just use a search engine and just say USU pest lab update subscription, it's free and it'll tell you everything you need to be doing as far as disease and pest management for your fruit trees. And it'll give both organic and conventional options. Okay. So um, for the nectarine tree, if it has what you're talking about, that boar, what do I do to treat it? Unless you can see them, there's not much you can do until they come out. But you start treating now to prevent more from getting in. And that's generally using a spray 
like high yields, um, pet garden and farm spray. It's registered for peaches. You spray the trunk and especially the lower trunk and around the base really well every three weeks. Every three weeks. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. All right. Good luck with that, Melanie. And thank you for your call today, Anton. Uh, just a real quick plug before we go to our break, that not just for fruit trees. There are some excellent uh, email subscriptions that you can work out with or you can subscribe to with the extension. Yes. That, Vegetables, fruit, ornamentals, oh, And they're turf. excellent. Yeah. Excellent. They're really yes, good. That's all of it. So go there and, and take advantage of that. All right. We're going to jump out for a break now, and we'll be back on the other side with the last 30 minutes of the Castle Greenhouse Show. Stay with us. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.